Hello and welcome to How to Be an Artist, a new podcast brought to you by Soho House. My name's Kate Bryan and I'm the head of collections for Soho House and over this series I'll be talking to a global lineup of influential contemporary artists who all feature in our art collection. We'll be considering what it takes to be an artist and especially what it means right now. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Genevieve Gagnard. Based in Los Angeles, Genevieve's work focuses on photographic self-portraiture, sculpture and installation to explore race, femininity, class and their various intersections. Throughout her work, she positions her own female body as the chief site of exploration, challenging viewers to navigate the powers and anxieties of intersectional identity. I love that Genevieve's cultural references are so unashamedly diverse, from Life magazine to John Waters. The results are always sharply executed and she creates a dynamic space for complex ideas. She received her MFA at Yale University and her BFA in photography at Massachusetts College of Art. She has exhibited throughout the United States, including shows at the Studio Museum in Harlem, the California African American Museum in Los Angeles and the Houston Center for Photography. Hello and welcome, dear Genevieve. Thank you so much for for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. So shall we start by talking about the incredible installation you created for us at Soho Warehouse in downtown LA? I was in LA and I went to the Underground Museum, which is such an incredible and special site in that city. And I was really excited by the work that I saw there that you'd created. Um, And so it was thrilling to know that you might continue that sort of avenue of your practice in our um, Soho Warehouse. The piece is called Never Too Much. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, it's funny that you discovered that type of work that I do. Um, at the museum there, because I was kind of asked to do that wallpaper thing I do, which I didn't really know how to answer that because I work in collage and I use wallpaper as part of that. But I had never taken on like a whole wall of a space. Um, So that was my first attempt at that at the Underground Museum. So when you asked me... Well, it was so successful. We sort of (laughs) desperate for you to do it with us as well. (laughs) It's so great. (laughs) I was just like, okay, I learned a little bit from that experience. So how can we kind of approach it in a way that was a lot larger scaled, you know? So you took a vintage wallpaper, which is a motif that you'd been sort of using, cutting out imagery... Uh, collaging, using vintage magazines, Life magazine, Ebony magazine, Ivory magazine. Is that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said Ivory magazine. I love it. Um, oh, did I? <laughs> Cut do you that, want guys. me to like, create <laughs> Ivory magazine? <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like it's already... And we'll just put every other magazine under Ivory Magazine. Exactly. Yeah. I was be- maybe I was being like really meta. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but I think that's why I turned to using those other magazines because, you know, Black folks are pretty much cut out of those stories. So I'm kind of forced to make a com- more complete, um, cohesive story by, you know, mm. sourcing these other magazines. But yeah, so for the Soho House project... I kind of tackled it slightly differently, used a vintage wallpaper, made two kind of smaller uh, sectioned collages, and then worked with a company that makes wallpaper. And they kind of scanned what I had created. And then we worked together to kind of create a repeat pattern with the two different collages that I had made. So that was really fun. But on top of that, I got to go in the space once the wallpaper was installed and 
add another layer of kind of like what I do to my collage works, adding doilies and stickers and these like 3D butterfly added little like gems to really make the the experience kind of come out more, you know? Mm. And the the work is um, is part of your sort of ongoing interrogation about race and identity and class. I mean, you you always put yourself in the work, even if you're not visually there. I mean, you're you're known for your self portraiture, where you you take on these characters and these personas. What is it? Your, what you would describe as your primary motivation? I think I'm constantly trying to shift what we're so used to seeing. So I really only used faces of Black women on that wallpaper um, that I did for Soho House to just kind of shift people's perspective of what they're used to seeing and as a way to eventually kind of make diversity feel normal, you know, or Mm -hmm. more accepted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I'm thinking about through everything that I create with the self-portraiture. I'm kind of thinking about how we navigate through the world, how other people see us. And I often am seen as as white because I have fair skin, but I identify as a woman of color. So I take on these different characters to just plainly show how we kind of put stereotypes on different people. So I'm taking on different stereotypes, knowing that the viewer will kind of, you know, flush through those perceptions. But then when they have this realization that the artist is the subject through every image, then they can kind of break down those kind of perceived notions that they've had. Yeah. I mean, it's often said that an artist is their work, and I think that's more or less true, but it's especially pertinent with someone like yourself who uses their own face, your body, your history, and and place in the world to kind of question and examine these issues. And they're big issues, you know, race, gender, you know, what is it to be American? Um how does it sit with you being physically and metaphorically and symbolically all of these things at the center of your own practice? It kind of just feels um, natural. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think it's at a at a young age, I realized that through art, I can have a voice. Like I couldn't always quite um, verbalize or vocalize what thoughts I was having. And the art is a real great tool for me to it's just like an extension of my language when you come up with the self-portrait ideas what's your starting point I mean they feel some of them feel like they could be stills from a movie some of them feels like they could be like from a trashy magazine depending on what imagery you're playing with um (laughs) you know and you're you're clearly sort of making reference to this idea of like white passing which is something that most people probably have never really considered um, it's because it's such a particular personal perspective for a particular kind of um, person who's dealing with these kind of stereotypes and identity issues. When you say white passing, I just want to clarify at least the way I approach it is that, you know, I'm acknowledging that the past is put on me. I'm not trying to fool yeah. anyone per se. No. Um, yeah. Which was, you know, something that a lot of uh, fair-skinned Black folks did in the past in order to kind of hold on to jobs or, you know, just protect themselves. So there's reasoning behind that or, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a number of other reasons that we could go into. But from my perspective, I'm just kind of acknowledging that people don't see me because they only read my skin color, you know. 
are you inspired by movies? I feel like so many of them, you know, I almost want to see the movie that goes with the still. They're so evocative. You know, you really, down to the way that you do your nails, the particular handbag, the way that the handbag is tilted on the arm, like the body language is so nuanced. They, these these personas, there's, there's humour there, there's satire, but there's something very loving in the way that you've crafted each of these people. They don't feel throwaway to me. They, they don't feel like a kind of temporary vehicle to express a big idea. They, they feel in and of themselves like they have a value. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't have like a story for each one of them per se, but I do definitely have get influence from movies and TV, but not like a direct, you know, specific film. I mean, I could say like, oh, I was watching Stranger Things during this time and wanted to maybe you know, reference a character that might have looked like they were in that that show. I don't know. I think of like another movie like Gummo. I'm also really into Wes Anderson films. So there's a little bit of that sprinkled in, but it's never really um, specific. I'm kind of, you know, I could start with just putting on a costume and not really sure where I'm going to adventure out into the world or venture out into the world. But, you know, I just kind of say, oh, I'm going to drive to town and see where I can put this character. There's like something intuitive about it as well then. So it's not completely storyboarded to within an inch of its oh, life. Oh gosh, you're, no. You're kind of no, no, going no, and never. making it up as you go along. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish that I was more like that, but sadly it's a lot of, I like to say happy accidents. You know, just kind of often I'll be really unsure what I'm looking for. And then finally kind of land in a location that feels right for that particular character. And every so often I'll be, you know, invited to photograph in a space where, you know, I can, I may or may not have seen the space in advance. But, you know, one of my friends said, you know, my grandparents home, they've passed away, but like everything is left exactly how they had it. So thinking about that, who I would show up as to kind of respond to that space, kind of walking into it a bit blind, but but I like that kind of challenge to kind of figure it out no matter what. Yeah. Do you have to be in the right frame of mind? I mean, it's very performative, isn't it? It's like a, you know, it's not playing dress up. It's it's much more than that. But the actual, the the energy and kind of emotional output that it must take to do it, it can't just surely be any day of the week that you could do that. It, it, there's a lot to it. Yeah, I kind of have to like psych myself up for it. Mm. And a lot of times I'll leave it to the last minute and be like, oh, you can't, you can't turn away from it anymore. You have deadlines. Mm-hmm. You have to face this. And I think it maybe comes across like it's something that kind of comes naturally to me. But I have a little bit of stage fright. So it's kind of like I already navigate through the world kind of as this question mark, or at least that's how it feels for me. And so then I put on this other costume or this other character. And I'm not really sure how this person navigates through the world either. So it becomes very layered you know, just another layer of like self-consciousness that I have to work through. But I think in the end kind of pushes me to create a stronger image that kind of resonates all of those things that you were talking about. Do you ever feel like you want to revisit some of the um, personas that you craft? I mean, there's there's some that just stick in my mind so strongly and I, I wonder what they're up to now. and <laughs> They feel so real. <laughs> Do you ever go back? 
Not necessarily. I think earlier on in my practice when I had less materials to pick from, but, um, you know, I might reuse a wig so it might reference a previous character, but I try and switch it up a little bit each time. Mm. So we're recording this at the start of 2021 and it feels like the whole of last year we were kept being told, oh, this is such a historic year with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and the election. It was just sort of insane. And we felt like we were in history as it was unfolding each day. And now it's slightly in the rearview mirror. I think there are a lot of um, <laughs> conversations about trying to process everything that happened last year, even though actually we have very little hindsight. And I was um, curious as to where your head was at. Well, I had, so I'm, I've been based in Los Angeles the past six years, but I was um, invited to do a residency um, out in North Adams, Massachusetts. And so I kind of got out of Los Angeles right before things kind of were locking down. And so I'm from Massachusetts. So in a way, it felt like I was kind of going home. It was just kind of this surreal taking it all in and exactly what you said, like, wow, I'm like witnessing history, like on my television right now. And obviously it went straight into the work because you were in a, on the residency. I saw the work that you created and there were um, some amazing works that you made pretty quickly in the, in the first couple of months of that period, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I had started things, but I was, I think I was just kind of literally this sponge on the couch, kind of just trying to take it all in. Mm. And at the same time, you know, longing for the community and diversity that LA offers. And although I love my, you know, my hometown or where I grew up, I know as a young person, I thought I'd never want to come back here, but mm-hmm. um, I, fa- I found myself kind of longing to come back here. So the residency kind of led itself to kind of me pursuing what it would be to kind of be back here for a longer period of time. And I just had this kind of, not only just from what I was seeing on the TV, but just kind of driving around and seeing Trump signs and Trump flags and or who or who would not put a Black Lives Matter sign on their front lawn. And I started having these conversations not like verbally, but based on what people were putting out for signage on their front lawns. Um, So kind of filtering people's perspective on the thing. So that was kind of what was happening early on. Me just kind of, you know, doing kind of the simple things like picking the color palette of what the collage papers would be and just cutting out materials is kind of how I work without kind of specifically knowing what I'm going to make for work. But, you know, as we all were seeing these different viral posts of people's racist behavior, um, it was easy for me to uh, quickly respond once I saw these things happening, Mm. as well as the police brutality. And you had to pivot and take um, a lot of what you were intending to have been able to do and put it online. So having the private view and things like workshops and events, So suddenly there's this whole new incarnation of the art world that we haven't really laboured over before, which is how will this be seen online? And suddenly it became the only way to get things seen. 
And I think there were definitely a lot of artists I saw in 2020 anyway who had sort of rejected things like social media and certainly would have been very opposed to online viewing rooms, having to get on board and, and doing like these amazing online events. And people said to me, oh, it was extraordinary because, you know, normally you you might go and do an event at a museum and you were really speaking to like the local populace of that museum. So if you're in London, mm-hmm. you're kind of almost in an echo chamber because you have this very liberal, diverse group of people that will attend these events and right. they're all coming from a particular perspective and they all get into mm-hmm. the room they're in the lecture theater and the artist does their thing whereas suddenly these artists were saying wow you know I, I had people in my audience who were in India and in Australia and mm. you know I suddenly I became very conscious that true like diverse audiences meant something totally different once you actually took everything online um, and Definitely. so there were obviously some benefits but I wondered how it felt to be right in the middle of that and to have this amazing opportunity and to say oh wow okay I have to I have to pivot slightly here Yeah, so I was kind of open to it. I'm already fairly active on social media, so I wasn't too um, concerned about that necessarily. But the the gallery director that I was doing the residency with, Erica Wall, as part of Gallery 51, she was just so gung-ho on like figuring out how to connect with people. Mm. And I didn't realize how much it meant to other people until like every like after a few Wednesday filmings or whatever you call that um, zoomings, we we would see like a lot of people returning the same people. And I was like, wow, they kind of like want this. They want I was like, who wants to hear me talk every Wednesday? But (laughs) it just seemed like we built a community of people that wanted to, you know, share their stories, hear other people's story, just hear my perspective as it pertains to kind of navigating the art world. And so it was it was pretty special. It became an opportunity for me to reach out to younger artists, not necessarily in age, but maybe just like kind of starting out in the art world and just offer a bit of advice if, you know, if it helped. Yeah, we want some of that <laughs> advice a bit later on. But before we get to the the really tough stuff, like how to be an artist, um, <laughs> I um, I was I was just thinking, as you said then, about the audience and how important it was for other people. But audience is so crucial to your work, right? Because in a way, it's a puzzle. And it's mm. you described yourself that you felt at times like a question mark. And so you're, <laughs> you need your audience in a way because your art doesn't really exist in a vacuum because your art's so much mm. about getting people to look and then getting people to look again. And then there's a kind of revisionist element to your practice where I feel like the way that you use historic imagery, um, particularly seeing these historic images of black women, you know, which is um, a type of image making that has existed certainly but has not been mainstream and so Mm -hmm. it's about this kind of reassessment and revision and so it it really heavily relies on an audience your work yeah I think what I've noticed is and which I think at first shocked me that people see themselves in the work and then I realized that through the way I juxtapose images that I was able to create something that was about me, but also about a wider audience. Mm. So thinking about the works is more like a reflection on the viewer or a reflection of the viewer. And however they kind of translate what's happening in the scene. I'm kind of, I'm kind of um, specifically talking about the collage works. 
Mm. Like, however they perceive what's going on in that kind of can tell them their stance in the world on the particular topics that I'm addressing. Yes, I mean, some of the collages you made last year had what what we might call, you know, difficult imagery, like police brutality, there were white hoods. Um, There was a piece that made reference to Salty Karens, um, which is such a great work. Can you explain what a Karen is to to people who are not familiar with the term? Um, I guess it's, (laughs) now it's a popular term, but I think it's just a white woman yielding her power or wielding her power in a situation where a minority is basically at risk of something bad happening for doing absolutely nothing, if that sort of explains it in a vague way. Yeah, I always had the Um, reading of it. It was like, you know, complaining, as simple as like complaining in a restaurant, and then it became Karen, became this byword for someone who would be so... Uh, privileged and difficult and it, it, it there was a lot of very kind of nasty stuff lurking beneath the surface and it became like part of meme culture right yeah and I I think I was really hung up on this image of the the woman in the the dog park or wherever she was walking her dog mm. without a leash yeah she gets asked to put the dog on the leash and then it becomes all this thing about the guy who asked her to put the dog on the leash and you know, and there's been so many other videos posted in that same vein. And it's so quick of a response for the person to later say, you know, well, I'm not racist. And, you know, I think that's this kind of instinctual response that they really put no thought into, <laughs> like the real meaning behind it. And if that is your instinct to say that statement, then I think it's it's a clue that you need to really look at yourself. Mm. You describe your art as a protest. And I think particularly last year, a lot of artists felt that they, well, the artist as a notion became something that we we almost looked at artists as soothsayers, like what's going on culturally? And, you know, we're asking artists to deal with the major intellectual problems of society through their work. Um, but you've always put issues around identity at the heart of your practice. And it, it has always felt... Um, since the sort of early incarnations of it as a a place for you to figure stuff out. Do you think that we're asking too much of the the artist to be someone who um, asks and answers these questions? Um, Or or for someone like you, do you think it's almost like a kind of, I don't know, an obligation of the career, if that's even the right word? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I'm kind of, I thought I had one answer for that, but I'm kind of going back and forth. I think... As it pertains to my work specifically, I feel an obligation to unpack certain things for white folks that ask questions that feel like they're not really breaking it down as well as they should. Because I realize there's so much that um, people have to let go in order to really see the reality of things. But I also feel that in insane like weight on one's shoulders when, you know, you take all this time creating these things and then you're also supposed to, like, explain it. Mm. And a lot of times I'm just kind of, I'm asking questions through the work. I'm not 
trying to answer it, yeah. you know? So there's this great artist that I work with in London, Sarah Maple, in our mm-hmm. collection as well. And she always says, listen, I made the work because I don't know. I don't know how to talk about it. That's why I made the work. The yeah. work's supposed to talk about I it. I love it's such that. such a good point. Yeah. And it's mm. like, I think, you know, for harder things or like how I, or maybe, you know, maybe my thought process behind making something, if that helps someone kind of navigate the work a little bit easier, you know, I'm, you know, fairly open to, but I think there's just kind of stigma that some people have about looking at work and like, they're afraid to have the wrong answer. And I think there's a lot of different ways to interpret, you know, different arts. There's no like straightforward answer for that. Cause it's like, I have this understanding that once the work is made, that my work as an artist isn't over. There is, there are those conversations. And to get back to what you said about needing the audience, I agree with that because I like having conversations with people about the work. So I know in one, in one way, the topics that I'm addressing are relevant or people do want to have these conversations more or, okay, my message didn't get quite through to people. So I need to like really dive in or you know, rein in on that message a bit differently um, so mm. I can kind of get get my views across. You always put on a really good show and um, I've seen your work at a couple of art fairs and where <laughs> other artists might just send a new work, put it up on the wall, you're there, you're creating these like museum-worthy takeovers, you know, you make these <laughs> incredible immersive presentations, kind of creating the domestic space that one of your characters might inhabit um, and they're, they can be really kitsch and playful and you kind of feel like you're kind of stepping into this very um, cool, strange, kitsch space. But then also because there's no one in them and it's like all the objects have just been left there Mm -hmm. and you start to make associations between things, they can sometimes feel sort of the the vacancy of them makes them maybe slightly ominous. Like, um, And I'm very conscious when I'm in that space and I see all these other people from the fair and we're all in the space together that we are all bringing our baggage to the table. Mm. How does it feel like when when you're in that space too and... It's your creation and which, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm kind of walking through your imagination and I, I need to sort of be, take my shoes off because my feet aren't dirty, you know? I feel like I'm in, slightly intruding. I love them, but I'm always like, oh, okay, I'm in Genevieve's mind right now. Yeah, it's funny you say it like that because I think of them as psychological spaces. So... Well, that is exactly what they yeah. are, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, you know, obviously it's being you know, birth out of my mind, but um, it's kind of, you know, if I'm I'm thinking about an immersive installation specifically, again, I want the viewer to have that kind of feeling of something's a little off here, but at the same time have Mm. this kind of nostalgic, like reminiscent of a time when they were younger or when they didn't have to like think about harder things. And I guess that's also based on your perspective, because if you're a person of color, you might not have a clear time of like when you didn't have to think about harder things. And so kind of combining things that are kind of stereotypical white culture with stereotypical black culture living in one space, it's a way for me to process my own shit, but it's also a space for others to um, Mm. kind of, I don't know, just immerse themselves in all of the 
the different, I don't know how to say it. Um, but it's interesting as a British person as well, because I walk into the space and I'm, for me, there's something about it, which is so, so sort of vintage America. But then you have to unpick what that America is in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you see the like hair products and you see the the toys and, you know, some things you've seen in movies and then other things, you know, you haven't really seen. And you're thinking, oh, actually, I kind of only really recognize that actually probably from Genevieve's work because it's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a product which is not part of my cultural landscape, mm. both as a British person, but as a white person as well. So f- there's, for me, I don't know, I don't know how conscious that is, because I could never see it from the perspective of an American person, right? I can only see it as this British girl rocking up to Miami or New York or something. But it, <laughs> I always feel like um, it's so loaded. I mean, you're, you obviously have a really um, acute taste for history. Oh, wow. That makes me sound well read, but I'm not. <laughs> But historic objects, though, I mean, I think it's it's not even about the books, is it? It's about it's about objects. It's like your selection, your curation. Is, it feels like, like everything is so loaded. Nothing's there for no reason. Yeah, I think it's somehow the way it's just like a attention to detail. That is mm. so everything feels like it really has its place. Therefore, it has an importance. Therefore, you as the viewer have to figure out what that importance is. And mm. I'm interested in someone who, you know, you use the word kitsch, where a lot of the things that are kitsch kind of are just pulled out of like my grandparents' house, you know? Um, they don't, mm. they didn't have a title. They didn't have a an umbrella that they lived under. That was just kind of, I feel like kitsch is kind of a class reference. Yeah. 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 And, and it's about so, taste, isn't it? Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. And so having gone to art school and kind of, unpacking what that is and then realizing that that's kind of more of my everyday I think it makes it a bit easier to work with those materials because they just feel familiar but I know that they somehow have a different read based on you know one's upbringing um, yeah exactly they're so particular if it was me you there would be like a whole installation of loads of fig piggerines because that's what my nan collected mm. and it was like her pride and joy you know she had the tiny house but it was like full of pigs <laughs> it's, it's so personal to you right um i i always really feel that it's so it's the the levels it works on are so um layered so what's yeah. your experience of actually being present at the fairs? Because you're there and you're kind of watching us all walk through your imagination, you know, clumping our dirty shoes through. Um, actually, <laughs> I saw you wore a jacket at Freeze LA last year and uh, it was almost like sort of performative. It said on the back of your jacket, sell to black collectors. What was the response to that like? Yeah, well, I had made, a pe- I made two pieces that said sell to black collectors. And it was just kind of became a a piece that I felt compelled to make after loads of conversations with friends and collectors and, you know, collectors of color who had expressed their frustration with not having access to certain works based on a number of things, such as, you know, who have they collected in the past? You know, you know, how much money do they have? All these sorts of things that I think that white folks don't have to navigate in any way at that that level. So, you know, I have a lot of folks kind of rooting for me and supportive of me and my practice that I felt 
you know, I had an outlet to kind of speak up on their behalf. And that was kind of how I wanted to go about that, just like straight to the point. Peculiar, distasteful machinations of the art world, that there's a there's not just a hierarchy of artists, but a hierarchy of collectors and um, and galleries. Sure. And we're so desperate to put everything in a race, aren't we? Mm. To put, to put I, value on things. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think I made that to kind of state that I don't want to be included in many collections, if mm. that <laughs> is, you know, my path. But I, you know, the having created the work, I then had this idea to then walk around the fair wearing this, which was actually a dress um, with sell to black collectors on the back of it, and then kind of walk around the fair and just kind of and like I was kind of terrified and in my head, but like seemingly holding it together. I love it, seeing the work you yeah. created at the Rockefeller Center. You took your um, photographic self-portraiture and then put them in these like vitrine-like windows. So you're bringing mm. that work to life in, in a similar fashion to you did at the at the fairs um, that I was just describing. And it's right in the middle of New York City at the Rockefeller Center. It's so cool. It's with the Art Production Fund, who are just incredible because they get art out of the white cube space. Um, mm. But I think I'm always struck by the way in which they do that can be so um, public, like really they will just find a whopping audience for art. And and the audience is often unsuspecting, right? They're just going about their day and then suddenly they see they see this contemporary art. And I wondered if you um, were conscious of that when you put the work together, thinking, okay, the, the audience are sort of un- uninitiated in the sense that they haven't come to an exhibition, they haven't come to a gallery, they haven't come to a museum or a fair. Did you approach yeah. anything differently or, or was that just kind of a thrill knowing that that was going to be the case? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was totally exciting to be asked to participate in that. And I think my first um, thought, because most of the imagery that's shown there is kind of on just like a flat surface, kind of almost like a billboard type vibe. And so I found it fascinating that folks might just walk by thinking these were some sort of clothing ads or something. Ah, yeah. Um, but then if they, you know, choose to stop and really um, explore a bit more, they would find out, you know, what they're really addressing. But the vitrines were kind of, again, similar to how you approached me to do wallpaper for Soho House. I, I was like, I don't really do that, but okay, let's see <laughs> <laughs> what we can come up with. And so, again, I like these opportunities where I'm pushing myself to kind of come up with the thing that I wouldn't typically maybe explore, but they kind of reminded me of like these diorama spaces. And so I thought, why not just expand on uh, the space that was shared in the photograph and just really make it feel like it's coming to life. Mm. You could kind of walk right into it. So that's really the kind of, simplest way to kind of explain what I was thinking about. And your work straddles a lot of disciplines and you you have all these cultural references, you know, using the vintage magazines and objects, suitcases, all sorts of things to design Mm. objects. Where are you getting all this stuff? Like if you were in the UK, I'd be saying, right, I know a really great car boot sale that you would love. But I guess in (laughs) the equivalent of that in the States is like a yard sale or a junk shop. Or I'm curious as sort of how directed are you and you're looking? Do you ask other people to look for you? Are there certain places Mm. you go to get hold of stuff? Yeah, I think over the years I've kind of narrowed it down to like specific places that I can always show up and they've got stuff I can use. Um, But I 
often can reach out to my mother, who I'm basically pulling from her aesthetics often in the work. Thanks, mom. And so, yeah. So if something, like I need a lot of something or it's something that I would see maybe more in Massachusetts, and then I have like a few antique shops that I go to. Yeah, I kind of more know what I'm looking for. So nowadays, so I just kind right, of... So you're quite directed, go. yeah. Yeah, because sometimes I'll go someplace and I'll see a lot of cool things, but my mom's more of like a hoarder, so I'm trying to avoid going too far down that path. So I'll try not to, you know, mm. gather too many things where my mom might it, find something and say, hey, you could use this for one of your projects. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, the, you know, <laughs> for the next project. So, <laughs> Yeah. So what advice would you give to young artists starting out? I mean, you've you've worked really hard and you've had some some brilliant successes. Your work's in great permanent collections um, and you're going from strength to strength. And I wondered if if you'd sort of had time to pause and reflect and say, OK, what, do I, what would I pass on? Any pearls of wisdom here? <laughs> pearls of wisdom. Hmm. We'll I take think... anything, quite frankly. They don't have to be pearls. <laughs> We'll polish them up in the studio. I want to say like knowing what you want to say, although I feel like I don't really know what I'm trying to get at most of the time. I think there's this idea of, I guess I'm thinking about some something that someone told me, like a grad student told me when I was an undergrad. Like if the work is good, it'll find its way mm. to where it needs to be. And I don't mean to say that everything I've created is good, but it was enough to like... I think I had a sense that the work had a place in the world. And so make make your work kind of reach beyond what's already been out there. Yeah. Like expand on the story. Like Yeah, because have, you can't be another artist. You can only be the person that you are and that's valuable in and of itself. Totally. Mm. And I think a lot of us who go through school often get told, you know, oh, you're like Cindy Sherman, you're like this or that, you know? Mm. And so it can get in your head depending on who you are and you can let it eat eat away at you or you can go beyond the people that have clearly influenced you but put your own story on it. Mm. But I, th- I think I am passionate about the work that I make because I want to push to have like a more positive impact on the world. Mm. And expand on the stories that are so often um, muted. So I suppose that's your answer. I don't know if that to, was advice, but no, it was. It was. It was beautiful because I, I think fundamentally, you know, I, I work with a lot of artists, and it's it's interesting. It's that the, the people that push forward, they need a reason to push forward. You know, it's not just like mm-hmm. this is my job, this is my career. There is something there. There's something that they're getting at. And it's a kind of constant pursuit. So I think it's kind of only natural that you would say to me, oh, I say, you know, know what you want to say, but I don't feel like I know what I want to say. I don't think it's that you don't know what you want to (laughs) say. It's rightly so. You haven't found a singular answer because what you're looking at is very complex and actually is kind of always moving forward with you. And you kind of got to go with Mm, that. Right. mm -hmm. So um, but for you, is that your it it feels that you're you have a, a purpose beyond the act of making. You have a, d- a directive towards the society and community that you're living in to to talk to them about this stuff. Yeah, I want something that is created to help, yeah, unpack th- these issues. Mm. 
you know, maybe some work that is presented would help people, you know, look at it in a, in a different way. And often it's easier to say like, well, this is from the artist's perspective. So let's look at it that way, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think it, it just kind of creates a safer place. I, I use that, that, those words in the sense of like the materials I use, that they feel kind of homey. They feel feminine. They feel soft, like they're not going to harm you or affect you in a strong way. Yeah. But then once you actually enter the work and you realize all those things are there, but it's safe, you know, I guess I'm really interested in how I can further work in that way. Yeah, a safe space for complex ideas. Totally. So what's next? What are you working on? Uh, (laughs) As you say that, I have this banner hanging up that says, you'll think of something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's... (laughs) (laughs) there's this kind of weight that again I talked about weight on your shoulders Mm. this also comes to mind when thinking about you know you finish something and you know you've got shows lined up but you're just like where does it go you know where do I take it what's gonna be the thing that really pushes the next move I guess Mm. Um, and I'm basically working on my next solo presentation at Suzanne Bellmitter in Los Angeles, just down the street from Soho House. Yeah. And that will be presented in 2022. And there are a few other group shows that I'm part of. And there might be another art fair in my future. Things are still getting, you know, worked out for all of that. Since most of them have been pushed to an online presentation. But I'm I'm trying to not let everything being online weigh me down, where I think a lot of folks are still kind of in that, you know, if I have to do one more Zoom mm. or if I have to do this or that, you know. I'm just really interested in getting the message getting the work out, out there. Or, mm. yeah, the work that's just posing more questions. Well, I'm asking the universe to let times. me be at your show in L.A. Uh, next oh. year. So hopefully we'll be Yay. together then, again then. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It's, it's just always such a pleasure. I'm a huge, huge admirer of your practice. And, um, and thank you for your time. It's so generous. Thank you, Genevieve. Oh, thank you. That means so much. Pleasure being here. 